Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is discernment. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelow, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Dawn Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. All right, you got me. (laughs) What do you mean by discernment? It is a fancy schmancy word for mm-hmm. making big, important decisions. Okay. So making big decisions like life changing, do I want to change jobs kind of stuff? Yeah. Okay. Why are we talking about discernment? And I think people don't talk about this very often. It's a word that gets thrown around in church places mm-hmm. and that it gets thrown around when people are discussing big events and big changes or Maybe it's kind of thrown around a lot with call language. Okay. And so discernment is kind of that, how do we go into conversations, deep conversations, and wrestle with things together when we're making, having big conversations and big life-changing things or big system-changing things. So in our congregation, we're having this conversation about visioning. Okay. And the 25-year process, right? Looking far ahead and trying to figure out how do we as a community discern the pathway forward with an effective and careful way. So that's one way and it would come up. Sure. Sort of discernment. How are we discerning our future together? There's also individuals who are contemplating, you know, life changes and different things coming up for them. And so the word discernment might get tossed out. You know, what are you discerning is the call for you. That's great churchy language. Yes, it is. But what does it actually mean? And how do we do it? And I think it's something that is just a fascinating topic. Sure. That we don't often talk about. How do you do this? How do you make a really big decision in your life and involve your faith as a part of it? Okay, so because we're doing this as a church, Mm -hmm. let's look at the group version of this first. Okay. So you have a topic and you want to think about it in a broad sense. Mm -hmm. How do you do that with a large group of people? There are lots of different ways, and I think this is one area where corporate expectation begins to seep into our church expectations. Okay. That we expect big decisions to come from the top of the chain and then make their way down into a congregation, or we expect there to be sessions that look much like what corporate America holds for making decisions and bullpens and, you know, big brainstorming sessions or small think tank groups, that kind of a thing. And those things might work within some systems. And I would say that, for example, here at Central, we have a very egalitarian way that this congregation, just in its DNA, shares leadership. Yes. It's not something that's coming from the pastor on down. Or even the council on down. It seems to be more of a congregation as a whole. Exactly. And that has been part of this congregation for long before I arrived here. Okay. That Central has very much had a kind of DNA expectation that the congregation as a whole would make decisions. And so we've been practicing that and putting that into greater and more intentional practice in the last five years that I've been here. But what that means is that we have to take the time to do what we call three great listenings. Okay. We need to listen to each other. Mm-hmm. And we need to listen to God. Okay. And we need to listen to our neighbor. Hmm. How is that different from each other? Hmm. Good question. Because each other are people on the inside. 
Oh, you're talking to people around the church itself. Yeah. Okay. Our actual neighbors. neighbors. Okay. People outside of the congregational system. And you can refer that back then to your own discernment and your own individual personal work and talk about how listening to yourself and listening to God and listening to people around you is one way that as we make big decisions in our lives, either as individuals or as a corporate group, that those three listenings can help guide us on a healthy and well-rounded pathway. Okay. Think of it like a stool, right? It needs three legs Mm -hmm. to stand securely. So let's make sure we use all three legs as we're doing this. So then how do you go about getting these conversations amongst the congregation? Because I can imagine that there are some people who are really excited to tell you their opinion and other people who really don't care. It's really hard sometimes. Mm -hmm. And you have to create multitudes of different ways in to access the conversation. Well, and even knowing the right questions to ask to get the information you want, that's hard. Totally. That's critical. That's a specific skill. Right. Mm -hmm. It's one that I don't have, but I have people around me who have the skill, which is really important. Sure. So within that knowledge that we are trying to create lots of inroads and lots of ways for people to participate, there's going to be lots of different events. The house meetings were an example. There will be one-to-one conversation with some folks who are maybe more introverted or who aren't as keyed into the system and aren't as ready to share their voices openly. They need some encouragement to get their opinions heard, perhaps. Or we'll have small group meetings where extroverts can get together and bounce ideas off of one another. Or lots of different ways, surveys with different questions and an ability to click a button and participate. All kinds of different methods and techniques in order to try and elicit the widest amount of feedback possible. Now, again, you're still not going to get everybody involved. No. And there's still going to be a lot of folks or some folks who may choose to not be involved. You can't force people to be involved in this kind of long-term dreaming. Mm -hmm. Discernment and dreaming sometimes go hand in hand. Sure. Because you're imagining a different future. So when you're discerning something... You're trying to figure out what the best pathway into the future is going to be, right? So say you're discerning whether or not you want to have children. Mm -hmm. That's a conversation you might have, you know, within your own self. Do I want to do this? Is parenting something I feel like I am meant to do? Something with your partner, if you have a life partner that you're doing this with. Something with your friends and your community surrounding you imagining and dreaming a different kind of future for yourself than what you are currently living. Mm -hmm. And that's a discernment process. That's what it's about. You're taking the time to really contemplate at a deep level, a potentially different future than what you currently exist in. In this dreaming process, is it helpful to sort of shoot for the moon as it were, or do you really try to be as realistic as possible? I think that's up to the individual okay, or the community at large. Uh, One of the different things that we're trained to do, there's a premarital counseling thing. Okay. A technique, a a system that I've been trained in for premarital counseling work. And if the couple come back and they don't have really high communication or problem-solving skills, one of the exercises you can teach them is how to imagine different things. Okay. And so the example that they give was what are different housing 
alternatives for the couple, like they can't choose whether to live at spouse A's house or spouse B's house, then instead of just bickering at each other about why their place is the best, then having them do some brainstorming ideas about different housing options. Mm -hmm. And to not stop at 10, but to tell people to come up with 40 or 50. Oh, wow. The first 10 are really obvious Mm -hmm. and are really kind of generic. And you're just going to get stuck in the same rut. But by the time you get to 45, you're like... A shoe? Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like a colony on the moon. Right. And you actually start to open up that creativity. And so that opportunity to shoot for the moon, the opportunity to kind of dream really large Mm -hmm. is not a bad thing to get you out of old ruts. Okay. At the same time, you may... You know, say, I'm going to be the president of the United States. And then your friends and family might say, that's a really awesome objective that you have. And I think it would be a really great idea for you to run for a local office before you decide that you want that level of political environment. Sure. Know what it's like to be a politician first. But that's an awesome goal. We love you. And we're with you as you run for a local office to discover what life in politics is really like. Yeah, I found the dreaming is great, but reality often intrudes whether you want it to or not. It will. Mm-hmm. It absolutely will. But if we never dream the big dreams, if we never imagine what could be or what might be, then we never get anywhere. Sure. I think I find it really interesting in our own visioning process. One of the questions was, we're talking about what kinds of things we want to see in the world. Mm-hmm. What do we dream of seeing in the world or what pressures are we experiencing? And the facilitator, the person that we have kind of mediating this conversation said, at some point in this neighborhood, someone said, I wish we had an indoor place for our kids to play nine months of the year. And 30 years later, we are putting the final touches on remodeling our indoor playground Mm -hmm. that has been running and serving Northeast Portland for over 30 years. Three generations have been coming to this park Because someone dared to dream that instead of it just being a church social hall for weddings and large meals. Mm -hmm, Or the literal church basement. That this church basement could be a harbor for infants and children who live in a very wet environment. (laughs) And if we never dream, we will never have things like that. So that's the kind of what can we imagine? What can we dream? What can we come up with? And that matters in group environments and in system environments, like a congregational system. Mm -hmm. And that matters in school systems. And that matters all over the place. And it matters in our own individual lives. How can we imagine something different if what we are experiencing isn't something that is sustainable? Sure. Okay, getting back to the process itself. Mm Mm-hmm. So you've talked about surveys and small group discussions. Mm -hmm. Who gets the happy job of compiling all this information? Or how do you even go about putting it into some sort of usable form? So hopefully you have someone with the gifts and skills of that kind of data collation. Sure. That could be someone with some kind of background in sociology and research. Okay. That might be someone who just has a gift for being able to see through a whole bunch of different data. Okay and collating it. But hopefully you have someone with those skills. Otherwise, it can just feel like a whole bunch of data coming into you. It can be overwhelming. Oh, totally overwhelming. Okay, so the surveys I get, that's easy enough to sort of compile all the answers and come up with some sort of grid. Sure. 
But I would have no idea what to do with some sort of small group where you take <laughs> notes and then how do you integrate those two? Skill. Okay. <laughs> Experience. Okay. So, I mean, I'm not taking these questions lightly. They're really real questions. When it comes to corporate kind of discernment, I think after time and after practice, you begin to notice things. Sure. So say across six house meetings. The same words keep showing up? The same words keep showing up. Okay. Or the same similar questions start showing up. Or once you get all the questions compiled and written down, you can start to see how they fall into different categories. Okay. These questions are all about kids and children's ministries. And these questions are all about financial sustainability. You can really mm -hmm. see where they're falling and you can see where more questions are located than others. You can see where the, not necessarily the passion is, but you can see where there's places where people might be locked in a certain expectation. Sure. Because the way the questions are phrased or framed. And then you can compare it back with some of that quantitative data, the surveys that you get of, you know, how do people feel, whether they're grounded in their faith or not, or are people feeling equipped and empowered or not? And then take that with against your questions that you're getting in, and you can start to see some correlations. You can start to see some things. You definitely will find buzzwords. Okay. You'll definitely find points at where, like, the same kinds of things start cropping up. And you'll know with the group what is consistently going to be a main concern. Okay. When you have something that's congregation-led for the most part, and then you go through this process and you hear people's answers, how do you then start making actual decisions? Because it seems to me that a committee situation, or at least that large of a group, it's still too hard to just straight put it to a vote from the get-go. Who gets to distill it down further from there? It's a good question. And part of that is going to be your, your elected leadership. Okay. Right? At some point in time, congregations or organizations have elected councils or boards or deacons or groups of individuals that have been authorized and asked to do that kind of work. Okay. To limit it down, to set two pathways out of the 50 that are offered and say, here are the ones that we're looking at. Which of these will we do together as a group? Now, say you get it through that process mm -hmm. and then you start to the get out to the vote end mm -hmm. of things and then you hear back from a couple of people, that's not what I want. You didn't listen. You go back and start the whole thing all over again? I think that really depends on how many folks are coming back. Okay. Congregations that have done the Reconciling in Christ conversation. Sure. That's one example of this, right? And so... Quick you, recap, the Reconciling in Christ is? Is a process through which congregations go through conversations and intentional community discernment mm -hmm. about being an open, welcoming, and affirming community, particularly for the LGBTQIA community, but also for communities beyond that. Okay. It's developing an intentional, broad, welcoming statement. Okay. And so a congregation can go through this community discernment process... And then come towards the vote, and if a whole group of people come out of the woodworks and say, we haven't been a part of this, we don't know anything about this, but we're coming to vote, and we're members, and you can't make us do this, uh -huh. then perhaps the folks who are helping to mediate and who are consulting will say, okay, it's time to go back into more conversation and reach out to this particular group in order to have more conversation and bring them on board. 
on big conversations like that, mm-hmm. what has been shown over time, over the long time period that these conversations have now been happening, is that a simple majority vote is actually not helpful. Mm, okay. It, it will actually create... Oh, it's going to split it in two, right? It won't necessarily split it in two, but it can create a large tension. Sure. That is not necessarily helpful. And so for big decisions like that, it's better to have a two-thirds majority vote. Okay. So you need a large majority in order for something like that to go through. And that gives you more time to get more people on board for more of a consensus. Sure. And the reality is that you will probably have people vote something down. Mm. You know, to have a unanimous vote. It's not realistic. It's not that it's not realistic, but in some ways I would hope that people would feel safe enough to say no. Okay. Even if it's just on paper, that the environment would be open enough for there to still be mutual disagreement and mutual bound conscience. At the same time, I wouldn't want the action of the whole to be held back when the energy and the activity is headed in one direction. Now, that means that the congregation or the group need to be very aware that there will be people who will feel sad. Sure. And who will not feel supported by a decision and who will feel less heard and less valued. Mm -hmm. And ignoring that can break the body. Well, I'm going to go back to the realistically, though. In a large group, you can't make everybody happy all the time. There's going to be somebody unhappy and hopefully you've gone through the process well enough that it's not the most hurtful thing for that person. One thing that has come up in the last maybe six or seven years ago, the ELCA started to create this thing called a vitality survey. Okay. And it's gone through several iterations. They're still tweaking the questions, that kind of a thing, but they send it out and try to get as many people to take it as possible and then collate the data and the information and send it back to a congregation to view. Is this congregation specific or is this ELCA as a whole? Congregation specific. Okay. And it comes from the ELCA churchwide office. Okay. And they do the data running for you and run the reports and do all that for you. Oh, nice. It is, actually. And one of the things that has been kind of discovered is that congregations that have no conflict where everyone is like, we are one happy family Mm -hmm. and we don't do conflict and we all agree on things and there's beautiful consensus here. We've actually found that there is less vitality within those congregations. Okay. Because what we know is that there is always conflict. There is always a difference of opinion where two or three people are gathered. Sure. Right. There will be two or three different opinions and maybe five. And so if we're all one big happy family that don't fight then we have crushed and silenced disagreement. Which can be a useful thing. Oh, disagreement being a useful thing. Yes. Yes, absolutely. By silencing the disagreement, it just runs underground. And then it comes out passive aggressively. Yeah, that's not good. Or then it's just silenced for a decade and then bubbles up in some kind of really toxic way down the road. So... What's been discovered is that actually a healthy amount of disagreement and knowing how to disagree with one another respectfully is a sign of vitality in a congregation. Sure. So being able to name the last time that there was agitation and conflict within a congregation and how you moved through it and how you found resolution together 
and had the tough conversations, that sets a congregation up for the ability to move forward in ways that a homogenous, everyone gets along kind of way isn't always so safe. Sure. And we see that then again in individual discernment, right? If there's no one asking hard questions of you, if you're looking at a radical life change mm-hmm. and no one who loves you is asking you hard questions that make you feel a little uncomfortable, then you might be in an echo chamber. Sure. And that's not going to set you necessarily up for success. Now, I am not talking about having someone who doesn't believe in you or who doesn't have your back or who's actively sabotaging you. I'm not saying that no, but you the need devil's to have advocate someone. can be a useful tool. And sometimes. I mean, even if it's just someone who knows you well enough to say, I love you and I'm worried that you are someone who is a workaholic and this position is really demanding and salaried. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be able to maintain healthy enough boundaries to not lose sight of your family life? Right? That could be a question that's really confrontational mm-hmm. and really difficult to hear from someone when you're looking at some major, super cool position you've always wanted, but it's a real question that someone who loves you might ask. Or I think you're a wonderful person and I think you'd be an amazing parent. I know you don't function great on less than six hours sleep a night. Sure. How are you going to set up some parameters around the first eight months of this child's life to help you be successful? Mm -hmm. Because you can't do this on your own. You will be so sick and you will not be okay. And that might be like, well, don't you believe I can be a parent? Mm -hmm. That's not really the point. That's not the point, Mm -hmm. right? So anyone who can ask those kinds of hard questions and still have it comes from a place of love, right? And that's congregational. This congregation is a beautiful and amazing place. And, you know, whatever the hard kind of question is, we want things, but we don't necessarily have the financial resources to make this sustainable. So how are we going to take this loan and realistically meet the obligation when we have no more money to give among us? Sure. Right? Those are the kinds of hard questions that might feel like a naysayer or might feel like confrontation. But they need to be asked. But they need to be asked. And the environment needs to be healthy enough and the relationship strong enough for those hard questions to be asked. Okay. So you keep mentioning a moderator or a mediator. Is that something that you hire? Is that something, at least for this congregation, that the ELCA helps you find or provides? Maybe and no. Okay. (laughs) Maybe it is someone who comes in from outside that you hire a consultant. Many congregations can do that. Individuals may hire someone to help them soundboard things. Definitely, this is not something that the ELCA will provide you with a mediator. That's not what they are currently in the role of doing. Okay. But there are many church consultants out there who are available and would be able to help. We are lucky enough to have someone who is a member of our congregation who is doing this kind of consulting work for the Oregon Senate right now. Okay. And so we have that bonus and she has the opportunity to have a guinea pig to try things out. Sure. (laughs) So it's a mutually beneficial blessing in this. And other congregations, the Senate might be doing something that there would be access to an individual to assist on this, or there might be training evolved to be able to help train members of the congregation or leaders to step up and act in these roles. 
But it definitely helps to have an individual who's looking at all of it, one or two or even three or four individuals looking at all of the information as it comes in. Okay. And trying to discern the pathway forward. Well, what happens if you don't actually get a decision out of all this? And what happens if you've trained for a marathon and you never run the marathon? You're still a whole lot stronger than when you started the training. Okay, so not getting an answer in the end is not necessarily failure of the process? Correct. Okay. And it may just give you different questions and you start back into the same process again. I think of human lifetimes. We don't come up with a final answer and then never have to ask another hard question of ourselves, right? No, that's we, not really how it works. That's not how it works. You're, maybe it's like, what college am I going to go to and what career do I want to pursue? And which partner do I want to try and hitch my wagon with for the next however many decades? And then the question is, do I want to have kids or not? And then mm -hmm. the, do I want to buy a home or not? We never stop asking or discerning these big changes within our lifetime. They're just different depending upon the stages that we're at. So this process of being able to slow down and listen deeply and bring in valuable input and ask the hard questions and be in a place and a space where those questions can be asked and where it's safe to be vulnerable enough to answer them. All of that is a part of life. And whatever answer we come to is going to bring a thousand more questions. Sure. Choosing to become a parent doesn't mean that you're done with how to be a parent. Oh, no, that's never ending. <laughs> right? And so it's all just another open door to another whole set of questions. Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question. Mm -hmm. Should you put a time limit on this? Mm, because you question. can be stuck in discernment for forever yeah. if you're one of those people. Yeah, that's a really good question. At some point in time, you got to make a decision and make a commitment. Oftentimes, some of these big things have their own deadline. Oh, sure. That makes sense. Right. It seems to me, and not that I've lived that many decades, but <laughs> it seems to me that these kinds of decisions present themselves with a time window that the door will open and close. Sure. And you can either ignore it for the first five years mm. and do nothing about it mm -hmm. and then panic and make your decision at the last minute before the door closes, or you can ponder ahead of time and really take a look at what's coming down the road and okay, how are we going to do this? And before you get into crisis and you only have two options left, look at all five of them before you pass by the first three. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these big questions will have their own time limitations on them, whether by opportunity or biology or financial capacities. Well, sure. I mean, we've always said to the kids... For certain things, not making a decision is still making a decision because Absolutely. life's going to go on and things are going to happen whether that's the choice you wanted to make or not. Absolutely. No decision is often a very large decision. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely the case. If you get caught in being unable to make a decision or stepping into discernment and getting lost in the process and not pushing yourself forward to some kind of conclusion, you will lose the opportunities they can pass you by. Doesn't mean they won't come back down the road in a different way than you ever thought possible. Sure. But that particular opportunity in that particular fashion may not come back again. Interesting. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about discernment. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for listening along. 
If you have a big thing that you are in the process of discerning, you now have a new tool, a new word to hold on to instead of just making that big, scary decision. Give it the sacredness and the space and the time that it deserves and know that we are here to pray for you or with you if you would like. You can reach out to me at pastor at centralportland.org and I would be totally willing to listen and send up some prayers in your discernment journey. We would also love to hear from you in general. You can reach us both at podcast at centralportland.org. And until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.